When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Emmy-nominated Padma Lakshmi, the outgoing host of Top Chef and executive producer host of Taste the Nation, has one request. I can tell you guys, I would really, really love some gold. <laughs> I would really, really love a little gold man in my life, in, you know, <laughs> in, in lieu of any other man. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Padma Lakshmi about her Emmy nominations, why she's leaving Top Chef, and more. But first, on the Award Circuit Roundtable, Cody Heller, the showrunner behind the Emmy-nominated breakout Amazon freebie hit Jury Duty, shares more stories behind the production and brainstorms what might come next. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Years after she released her series Dummy on the now-defunct Quibi, Cody Heller decided to go into her next project without expectations. In doing so, she's had her mind blown by the positive reactions she's seen online as people receive her latest work, Jury Duty. Starring James Marsden, the documentary-style comedy takes one suspecting civilian, Ronald Gladden, and puts them through a series of pranks. The catch? He doesn't know everything is fake. The entire case is fake. The judge, the courtroom, bailiffs, and all of his peers are all paid actors, and everything this team of jurors experience is carefully orchestrated by Heller and her team of writers. Heller dropped by the Award Circuit Podcast Roundtable and put up with our questions, which she's probably been asked a million times already. But we needed to know, was Ronald for real? We do sense that there is some sort of viral Amazon freebie marketing going on right now, because I think at last count, there's three people on our staff who just in the past couple of weeks have gotten jury duty notices, <laughs> mm-hmm. which... Shout out to the Amazon team for figuring out a way to get the people who cover the Emmys to actually be stuck in jury duty during voting. Well, wait, they got real summons for real, are you saying? Yeah. I actually... It's like an epidemic or something. I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Um, During production of jury duty, I got a jury summons. And I... Had to go. Ignored it. No. (laughs) Are you a fugitive from the law? I kind of am. I mean, probably. I just did. I couldn't. I was so busy. I didn't even. I couldn't go. I think I tried to like say, you know, I'm I'm working on a show right now. It's actually about jury duty, but I don't think you probably would have been exempt if you said that. I think so, right? I would like to think. I've actually had a couple friends tell me recently. I think a lot of people are getting summons right now i have so many friends who've been summons recently but um a friend of mine said that when they went the judge actually said at the beginning all right look guys this isn't some jury duty like the show this is the real thing there's no cameras like it's that it's that big that it that's unimaginable you've gone viral in the courtrooms of america now pretty crazy have you ever been uh chosen for a trial? Before? No, but I wanted to. So years ago, I was in between jobs. I was like, got the summons and I was like, man, I really want to get selected because I feel like maybe there'll be some sort of story here and I can get some inspiration for something. And I just, I won't really wanted to get selected. And I didn't. And I felt so rejected. Really? You're yeah. the one. You're the one who wants to do jury duty. I was yeah. like, I, I'm in it, man. I'm so invested. I'm like, I was, I was very Ronald Gladden about it. Like I, I mean, bright eyed and, but I was, I was going to really invest myself in the case. And then they just passed me over and I was, I was sad. Yeah. But, but Emily brings up a good point. You probably will never be able to do jury duty. No. I hope hope so. I think James Marsden said that to us in one of our stories that like, he's like, I don't think I will ever be able to, like, I will You're always going to be a distraction. I'm sure that during voir dire, as soon as that comes up, they're going to be like, no, I mean, yeah. no. 
Yeah, yeah. you just got to tick it out. Yeah. I was a part out. of an Emmy award nominated show, <laughs> maybe soon winning show about the jury duty process. I so. know the ins and outs. I mean, you know all the secrets. Well, I, did I ever? I, I feel like I told you guys this once that one of the ways I once got out of jury duty was because the whole journalist thing, you think that maybe they'll like try to dismiss you, but actually it works against you because. Oh, this person's probably impartial. This is probably the perfect person to be on jury duty as a journalist. So I had to play the card of, well, you know, I've written a lot about law and order over the years, and I have some serious concerns about the judicial system because of this. And then they immediately and you, you know I'd get out of this immediately. Yeah. I'd, I'd be like, like I watch nine hours of Dick Wolf. Yeah, week. yeah. you got to play. I can't do this. Play, play the Dick Wolf card. I'm, <laughs> it works. I'm one for one right now. I got called for jury duty, jury duty the October before the pandemic. It was uh, the premiere week of the Irishman at New York Film Festival, I remember, and I got selected. You did? Wow. Yeah, and I was on and the... And how I, long? Was it a it was, civil it was, or it was, criminal? It was civil. It was, oh, I know. It couldn't so even be really fun about it. But it was a very interesting story. The guy, the guy claimed... I don't claimed, think we're allowed to talk about it. Why can't we? Why? People, they, they interview jury <laughs> members yeah, after OJ. Yeah, I think yeah. after. I think after. Yeah, I'm not saying his allowed. name, but a guy, yeah. and he's been executed now, right? Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> he's, he's gone. I think he's uh, been after OJ. Like that's yeah. what you're comparing. Yeah, this this was, no, what what happened was uh, he claimed he alleged that uh, he he worked for uh, NJ Transit and he used to clean the debris and garbage off the train tracks, and he went to go clean something, and then there was a needle that <gasps> cut his, his <gasps> finger, and he like was suing. The, the, the See, NJ Transit, and he like he brought in his wife that said like they can't be intimate anymore because he has to get like HIV tests, and she's oh. always been nervous they're going to have more kids. It was very dramatic. Oh my yeah. god, dramatic! It was it was very dramatic. And then Cody's taking notes right now <laughs> <laughs> for the next season of Jury Duty. I I think it's so interesting because with the celebrity thing, because I always assumed that if you're a celebrity, wouldn't wouldn't that automatically imply that you have more influence and sway mm-hmm. over like as a as a, a lawyer i probably would not unless yeah. i knew for sure they were going to be on my side of it yeah did cody just but, call me a, a celebrity by the way they don't keep that i don't think i think she was talking yeah she was like you know when you're a celebrity and she was wondering why i got chosen but it was funny because a friend of mine who is like a pretty well-known actress recently was on she got selected she was an alternate though which is like just like James Marsden. Exactly. Yeah. But I was so surprised. I was like, really? That's so interesting to me. But yeah, I loved have the fact that we had the celebrity because I was like able I was like, Yeah, that's it is real. It's, that really does happen. And yeah. if you're in LA, you're gonna get a celeb in there. Yeah, you do every once in a while see like the photo of like uh, yes. incognito, uh, like a, a, a sad sack <laughs> there. They've got their their baseball cap down and uh, it's like Sam Waterston or something. I'm always going back to Lava. <laughs> yeah. Emily love this. would lose I'm it. Like, this is my this is my dream of conversation of us of Sam Waterston showing up in jury duty with me. And, and then you were like juror number one, so you have to like run it. So you oh have to like gosh. talk to him like in depth. I couldn't do it. <laughs> Well, I, I know I, I can't get enough of talking about the behind the scenes of, of how you pulled off this. this the, the, And that final episode goes into it a little bit. By the way, there's not enough of you in that, Cody. Are you uh, Aww, didn't want to be in so front of the sweet. camera? Or are you like, I be, be, prefer to be behind the scenes, not giving away all the secrets? Honestly, episode eight was whew, getting that episode Together, editing that episode was one of the, I mean, everything about the show was such a challenge and in exciting and amazing ways. But we always knew that episode eight was going to have some behind the scenes portion, like there was going to be elements of that. But because of the nature of the show, we couldn't really have a BTS crew around because Ronald believed that the documentary crew consisted of like, five people tops. Yeah. So we, when we got to editing episode 108, we had very little footage to go from. I mean, we were, it was literally me texting the actors and the writers and people that were on set being like, can you guys go through your iPhones and see if you have any footage? And like so much of it just came from iPhone footage that we had because we didn't, we weren't, you know, in hindsight, as the showrunner, I should have been more diligent about thinking about that episode, but it was 
there was so much going on that yeah. it was kind of an afterthought. And so editing that episode wound up being such a challenge. Um, luckily, we got um, Mary DeChambre, who is an amazing documentary editor. We brought her on to edit that episode because we were like, this is different than the other episodes in many ways. And then me and Andrew Weinberg, who was one of the writers and EPs on the show and one of the best guys ever, we went through literally like frame by frame and watched everything. Yeah. And we had a thing called TTMs, top tier moments. And we would just like Andrew really, he did so much of the work. He watched every single frame of the effing show. And uh, because it was all about just finding how can we tell the story? How can we kind of show how this was made while still keeping it interesting with so little footage? Because I didn't want to do like interviews with the because no one cares about seeing interviews with like me or whatever no no one that's boring i do i mean that's nice of you but i i was really happy with how it turned out because we found so many just little gems like for example the thing where you know we have mecky leaper who plays noah talking about like the fact that he had the he didn't have any real lenses and his the lenses were not the right prescription. And then we found that moment of him trying to play video games and like leaning in and you can see that he can't see well. It was just all about finding those little things. Um, and, uh, you know, my biggest moment is when I'm uh, when I'm talking about Mars when I'm doing the, the Marsden shit prop and um, giving my and I took that very seriously because I was like look he, he Ronald's gonna look and he's this needs to be realistic like yeah. this this needs to be I was very very serious yeah, about she, it Cody's very method about yeah. this very uh, method no stone yes. unturned yes here. how did you prepare for getting <laughs> for putting the poop <laughs> I mean that day was one of the most fun days because that was just like you know, you see it in 108 a little bit, but like Ronald gets pulled down to, you know, Noah comes up and gets him to leave with just enough time for the prop guy to come in and plant the shit. And then Marsden spraying the, there's a fake poo smell and he's spraying that. And mm. it was, I mean, just talk about like a career. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Well, you, you could pull off a heist now because you know, like True. all the, like you got to think of everything yes. and just make sure that at no stone unturned. Totally. Nicholas Hatton, who most amazing EP ever. Um, he, he does speak about it, like kind of pulling off a, a bank heist and it, it really is. It's really, you can't, it, there is no, there's no calling cut. There's no, you just, everything is what it is. And if anything is funky, like you risk the whole thing falling apart. So what was the hairiest moment? The moment when you all were there in that room saying the gig's up, man. I mean, honestly, I, in the the moment where the chair pants thing is happening at the security and uh, he says out loud, Man, this feels like a fucking reality show. Mm -hmm. I died. <laughs> I literally <Yeah>. sank down, <laughs> crawled under the desk, and was like, he knows. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, but he wouldn't have said that to Marsden. Like, he's saying, this is crazy and this is everything that's happening is insane, like a reality show. Right. But he never thought. But in that moment, I definitely was like, oh, my God, we're screwed. That was still pretty early on. It was like the third day. Yeah. yeah. And it was all – I mean, really those first couple days of getting him selected, getting him uh, into the hotel, and getting him to give, give up the cell phone. Those were the things where I was like, if we can get him past that, I feel like – We got it. We got we're, – we're in a safer zone. But before that, I mean – it was – there were so many things to consider to sell the reality. Like, for example, he believed that he was participating in a documentary and that, you know, he signed up for this thing. But that didn't guarantee that he would be selected. So in order to make that clear, because we also wanted him to think that James Marsden was not signed up for this documentary. He just got a regular jury duty summons and he was just showing up. So in order to sell that reality, we had a, a guy, um, and I so I'm bad at this, I cannot remember the actor's name, but he was a wonderful guy. But his character, we called him Brian 
uh, decoy because he was our decoy. Um, but he became friends with Ronald in that first day. And he also was, Ronald was under, under the impression that Brian had also signed up for the documentary. And then we intentionally made him not get selected for the, for the jury because we wanted to make sure that there were no, you know, it wasn't too alarm perfect. bells going yeah. off of like, wait, so everyone who signed up for the documentary is getting selected. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of thinking through, you know, Ronald's a really smart guy and having to just think through like, how do we make sure everything feels real? And then once, you know, the, once he got selected as four person, he really took it seriously. Like we were struggling to keep up with him because he was at, he was asking for like the blood alcohol right. level. And we were like, we didn't, we don't have that prop ready because we weren't planning on doing that until. So it was, we were scrambling and thank God we had the most incredible crew and cast in the world that everyone was just so invested and committed to this thing that it just brought out the best in everyone in a way that was like, I've never seen before. What, was there ever a moment that it like Truman show that you were almost afraid that Ronald would fall in love with someone like by accident. And then you would have no. to break it to him. <laughs> no, that, because Ronald, Ronald, we knew that Ronald had a girlfriend yeah. and we knew that like every night that was his phone call that he would, you know, make at the end of the night. And he's such a good guy. Like he was just not, you, you felt really good. Yeah. And we, you know, in terms of like the soaking thing, for example, that was one thing where, you know, initially in the writer's room, I, there was a version of like, you know, what if he's the jumper and then we realized very, very soon, like, that would be because of the hidden camera element of that. Like, even if he agreed to do the jumping, we we had a backup plan of Jeannie being like, mm, I see you more as a brother and I kind of want Marsden to do it. Mm, because yeah. we just didn't want uh, to put him in a situation where, you know, even if he's agreeing to do this thing, he's not consenting to it being on camera yeah. kind of thing. Mm, right. So there were lots of – I mean, we were – ethically, we were always just – taking his mental health and well-being into consideration like that was that was the biggest thing was just being like the the show is you know number one not meant to be something that punches down on this guy in any way whatsoever he's meant to be a hero and we don't want him to get traumatized by this thing we want this to ultimately be like a fun thing that happens in his life yeah, and it turned out that way. I mean, I, I he is he is loving this this uh, <laughs> this newfound fame and and uh, attention. It seems like so he is, and you know, truly, everyone they all keep in touch. Like I keep in touch with Ronald, all the actors. Like they it, it we, they all formed like a little family. It was really. It sounds so cheesy, but like it really was this magical thing that was so he like, did fall in love <laughs> he yeah. did he did fall in platonic love with yeah. everyone what was the hail mary because you guys obviously discussed everything that would happen uh before he actually got there what was the hail mary one you wanted to do that you were like that's a bridge too far he's gonna figure it out because if we do this um so chair pants was supposed to be there was a lot more that was supposed <laughs> to happen with chair pants basically Todd was going to show up with the chair pants on the first day as the four person. He was going to go to Ronald to be like, Hey, can you, once he realized that in those, those seats are bolted down in the jury box, he was going to be like, Ronald, can you ask the judge to, you know, and he does do that. And Ronald doesn't, you know, doesn't go along, but we had a janitor, an actor playing a janitor ready in the wings to come in and actually unbolt the chair and then Todd was going to proceed to sit in the chair pants for the entire day, clearly like shaking and uncomfortable, but too proud to admit that <laughs> the chair pants are no good. And then he was going to be like, oh, man, that was, you know, the, like kind of admit at the end of the day that they were a failure. And the next day he was going to show up with a new an improved set of chair pants and do the thing all over again. <laughs> so basically that was a bit that we had to cut because Ronald was already like, this is insane. And, you know, so that was one thing that had to get cut. Um, one thing that exists in Ronald's reality that never made it onto the show purely because we had to cut it for time, which 
really does make Ronald even more of a hero in my mind when I think about it. Um, during Wadir, David Brown, who plays Todd, uh, it comes out that he has just recently had his rights restored and he's able to serve on a jury, but he's an ex, he's a convict. He's, he's been in prison mm-hmm. and the crime is just sort of hinted that we never find out. It's, but it's part of the whole season. In Ronald's reality, when he opens that door to their short, shared hotel room, that door and, and shows Todd a bug's life and, takes him on the makeover not only does he think todd is you know an eccentric kind of weird guy but he thinks he's also a an ex-con a felon (laughs) so that just goes to show like how accepting and loving ronald is in the way that he treats everyone i mean you still got to be pinching yourself that you found him i mean in the the casting process oh my god i mean alexis san pietro who was she's the one who found him she is Amazing. She um, interviewed, I think, over 2,500 candidates, and she is just, I he's, mean, he's too magnificent. Perfect. Yeah, he's so it's, perfect. Like, like, even sitting here today, I'm kind of like, just, just tell us. I like, know. I it's, mean, like, it's you not, want, and like, that's the thing is, like, you, it, it, it he no really did, and I say it all the time, but it's, he really did restore my faith in humanity because mm. this is another anecdote that I, I've talked about before, but I just think it, goes so it speaks so much to how how thoughtful and amazing ronald is so you know the episode that is noah is worried that his girlfriend might be on a vacation with is cody you know did that because my name and oftentimes i've i've gone into meetings before in my early on in my career when i like was they were just reading a script and then i came in for a meeting they were like oh we thought you were going to be a guy so anyway we had the episode you know Noah is asking everyone, do you think Cody is a guy or a girl's name? And he's so worried about it. And if you notice in the episode, Ronald really does just does not engage in the drama at all, does not want to make Noah upset. The mm-hmm. only kind of things he says are like, you just got to trust your girl and like, don't worry about it. And, you know, he doesn't want Noah to get upset. So after we finish the show and we do the reveal and I meet Ronald for the first time uh, and I say, oh, my name is Cody, it comes out. That in real life, Ronald has a best guy friend named Cody. So think about the fact that he was so thoughtful that, I mean, I just blurt out whatever. If if I were in that situation, I would just blurt out like, yeah, I know a guy named Cody because it's just the truth and the first thing that I would say. Right. He thought it through, knew that saying that would contribute to Noah's paranoia about the whole thing and chose not to mention that. I just think that goes – to show like just how incredible this guy is. Yeah, he doesn't like messy drama. No, yeah. <laughs> he's I, from it, a different it, time. Literally, he is, and it's funny because like on a reality show, he's the opposite of who you would cast because you want someone who feeds into the drama and uh, all they do right. is drama. And he is just—he never wants to engage in any of it. Yeah. He's just above that, and not in a snooty way. It's just like he just. He's incredible. He has patience in a way that, like, I can only dream yeah. of, of of having yeah. having in the world. I, I have to ask you this: that I've been there is released the James Marsden cut. There is like a whole show about James Marsden. How much extra footage is there of him just running amok? I mean, there's of everyone so much. I mean, there. Editing the show, I give so much credit to our amazing editors because. The show could have been so many different things. Yeah. There's so many versions of it. And we made so many versions of it before <laughs> we got to what eventually became the show. But Marsden was just so funny. I mean, I couldn't – I was just so blown away by his improv skills because I – you know, I knew him as James Marsden. I knew he was fi- capable of being mm-hmm. funny. But to that level where, like, he w- – I mean, he would have me, like, bawling. Like, mm-hmm. I just <laughs> – and every really the entire cast, I have to say, I was I was in awe. Like every day watching from the control room, I was like, how? how first of all, how are they not all laughing? This is crazy yeah. that they're That's able to keep impressive. it together. Yes, I was like, like, how? I don't have power like that. It, like, it, it was just amazing. Like there are moments when 
Um, David Brown, who plays Todd, he has his like water buffalo, his like camel back, th- you know, the little yeah. water thing that he. And my some of my favorite moments are like when I could see him. He whenever he was almost about to laugh, he would like just take a really big sip. He would just like bite down on the thing, and that always just made me laugh so much because I was like, oh man, he's trying so hard not to laugh, and and it worked. No yeah. one, but I think you know, I, and we talk about it in episode eight, but. Uh, not showing the actors those courtroom videos, the animations in advance, mm-hmm. that was a huge fuck up on her part because <laughs> they, I mean, they almost squirt, lost it. Yeah, it was so funny. But it, you know, it was, it wasn't, we had just so many things going on. It wasn't one of those things that we thought of ahead of time as like being a priority. So it was just like, and you know that that was we, a lot of people almost lost it, but thank God we got away with it. And I, I I know I read somewhere that the idea was if things got a little too out of control, if Ronald started to suspect something, the plan was to just do a boring day of just courtroom like boredom, like nothing would happen that day, just to sort of reset things and remind everyone we're still in court, and some days are just nothing happens. Precisely. We had a thing called the Reality Bank. And I'm not, I can't remember if Todd Schulman or Nick Hatton coined the phrase. I'm not, I can't remember. But basically, it just meant like, on when, whenever we have something really funny that's about to happen, or something really funny that has happened, or if we're ever in a situation where we're like, ooh, this is getting to a point where Ronald is going to start being suspicious, we would have to make a deposit into the reality bank, which would mean, yes, sometimes just a full day of nothing but boring courtroom stuff. Yeah. How and often just, did you have to go to there? I mean, I think after the chair pants day, we definitely did it. Um, but it was, I mean, it was definitely something that like throughout, we always were aware of balancing. Like there are so many hours of footage of just boring courtroom stuff that was just necessary as part of the process to be able to earn the funny moments. Yeah. And so it was built into it as just sort of like every day there would be a lot of boring stuff in addition to the hilarity um, but certainly on days where like, you know, like I said, after the chair pants thing, we, the next day we're like, absolutely nothing funny can happen today. Like nothing kind of pause on the storylines, like just boring, get back to like, this is Poor just, Ronald. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that kind of, I, I oversee a lot of our Emmy stuff and we talk a lot about categories and how comedy, the comedy category specifically has changed so much. Was that – I mean, I know it's – not everybody thinks in a way of what category would this fall in, in the Emmys, which has now become my go-to thought for anything. But I know a lot of people were talking about when Jury Duty fell into comedy. Like, would it be comedy? Would it be sketch? Would it fall into something – some magical other category? What are your thoughts on that? And submitting Ronald in yeah. particular because, like, he – not like, an actor. Not an actor. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I'm glad that it wound up in the category it wound up in because, yeah. you know, we had a traditional writers' room and we did we broke the stories as we would a regular, a half hour comedy. Of course. Um, but then of course it is so different. It is constantly evolving and changing, and the writing is happening. It's changing and and moving every single day. And, but I am glad because, you know, it is, there is so much improvisation for sure, but the storylines are all there. Those were all pre-planned. And one thing that was, I I think the only reason we were able to actually pull it off was that when we were building out the writer's room, I was like, I think we need as many writers to also potentially be performers in the show because of the nature, because of all the moving parts. I think we need as many people there throughout the whole thing who have been there since the beginning when we started talking about what kind of hero's journey we're sending this guy on, what the possible storylines are so that, you know, because to have a writer's room and then just they're gone and then, you start off with a fresh batch of people and try to catch them up on everything, that would be really hard. So we got really lucky in that um, a lot of the writers in the room wound up being in one way or the other on the show, like Noah and um, Evan, who plays uh, the defense attorney. Um, 
uh, even Carrie O'Neill, who's one of our writers, she plays like the metal detectress, as I call her, mm-hmm. the, at the front desk. But like having as many – Marcos Gonzalez, he was also one of the other um, security guards. Having as many of those people that were there from the very beginning be there throughout the whole thing I think was hugely beneficial in, in letting us pull it off. And to, and to follow up with that, I think because of where it is in comedy series, meaning it's an ongoing series, million dollar question, how the hell are you doing a season two? Do you, how do you find another Ronald or does jury duty just move venues and it becomes like, you know, d- dinner theater? I, I don't know. I don't know what is <laughs> there. That's like everyday life, like DMV. Like, like, I don't know. What, how does that Yeah, work? I mean, that I don't know. And because of the strike, we haven't had those conversations. But um, it is interesting because, yeah, I don't I don't think you can do jury duty again as jury duty. I think you have to. Or you can just know James Martin. Like, you just, I don't think you can ins- insert You do it in another part of the country you do it in another or part something of the country, like that. You can't insert an actor. Maybe, but I feel like, I mean, people I are like on to you now. pretty big. Yeah. That's we the, did not expect it to. The danger of being a success is now people know exactly what it is. You know, and, and speaking of what Emily was saying about the, the categories, too, uh, you know, the TV Critics Association gave you an award for best reality show. Yeah. So at the same time, you're up for an Emmy in comedy. So that's got to be a little confusing, it too. Is. It's like, well, thank you, but uh, ixnay on the reality it, it, name. It was. I mean, I'm great, so grateful, and we won that. It was amazing. But, yeah, it wasn't really a reality show. I mean, it was very, you know, scripted. There was so much improvisation, but it wasn't a reality show. Right, right, except for one person. Yeah. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah again, two two shows in one. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, uh, you know, obviously this is an interesting time in the business, and uh, we should mention that you're here because uh, this was set up by your personal reps. Uh, there, there is sort of a fine line right now in how we're kind of navigating all of this, with uh, especially with Emmy season campaigning, et cetera. But um, uh, what's the the last few months been like for you, and and uh, how are you sort of? dealing with, uh, you know, the strike right now and and your hopes uh, where things are going? It's been a whirlwind. I mean, I have so many feelings when it comes to the the strike. I'm very, very much in support of it and think that this – I came up in a time where I never worked on a broadcast show. My only experience is – as on a cable show or streamers. So I I see the fact that like I as a showrunner, you know, I I couldn't afford to like buy my own house or something and I I, I and especially when it comes to the the actors, I think that's something that I can really see first, firsthand because my mom is an actress and she came up in a time where there was a middle class of writers and actors where you could like earn a, a living doing that. And I just think that has disappeared. I think there are the one percenters who are making tons of money. And then there are the people that are just struggling to get by with each job. And um, so I'm definitely very much in support of the strike. think that things need to change. Um, but it definitely was a crazy time to – then get nominated for these Emmys and on the same day find out the that SAG was joining us in the strike and find out that, oh, we can't really promote this show because it, it, it's it's icky. It's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. icky. Um, but I really, really hope that – I've been saying this and it's cheesy, but it's really true. Like Ronald Gladden did Restore My Faith in Humanity – and then we got into this strike and I heard like what the AMPTP were kind of doing. And I was like, oh, man, man, can't can we get Ronald Gladden in there? Maybe can we, we just should get him in there. Maybe there already <laughs> is. Maybe this whole thing. Has <laughs> been the one this is sitcom. <laughs> the worst sitcom ever. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, speaking of kind of, you know, what you've been up to the past couple of years, I mean, you're in the unique, uh, role of you worked on a Quibi show and now a freebie show and the Quibi show went to Roku. You've, I'm you've a, had experience I'm a, with, I'm a stream queen <laughs> as I like to call myself, but yeah, it, it was really interesting. Um, 
I actually had such a great experience with Quibi, I have to say. Um, making Dummy was like one of the joys of my life. I mean, making Jury Duty was also – both of them were amazing in, in different ways. But, um, you know, I know that Quibi gets a lot of shit, but I have to say – they were amazing to work with. Colin Davis, who was my executive there, is a dear friend of mine now. Um, like, it, they really did give so much artistic freedom to their creators in a way that I've never seen before. And so I was so excited. I really got my hopes up for that. When I made that show, I really thought, even though people were making fun of the name Quibi, I just thought, like, this is going to be so big for me. And I was so excited. And then, you know, COVID happened. Quibi died. Everyone, no one watched it. And I think in many ways, the fact that I went through that experience was a good thing for me because I don't know if I would have been as, like, I when I was first approached about show running jury duty, it was terrifying. The, the idea was so brilliant, but I was like, I don't know if it's possible to pull off. Like there, no one knows for sure if it's possible, there's an actual chance that it could fail. Um, not just like that it would be a bad show, but that we can't even get through the thing that we're trying to do. And I think had I not had the dummy experience, the pressure, I would feel so much pressure to make sure that it worked, that I think I might have been too frightened to take on the the chance of doing something that has, could fail. Well, Cody, I'm here to let you know that Quibi was never real. It was all, <laughs> just, you know, I'm sorry, this wasn't real. Yeah. It's, you know, we just made it up for, you know, and then COVID came, but... Um, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. No, it's, uh, uh, no, it was a fun show. I, I had a chance. I watched it. I watched it on Roku, oh, but it still, uh, it still lives on on Roku, I believe. It does right, live dummy? on on Roku. So, yeah. What yeah. a concept that shows and stuff could live on in perpetuity. Well, I know, you know? right? I know. good for that. Well, congratulations on jury duty. Um, Thank you so much. what a, what a ride. Casting on the next season. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, oh, Emily would be amazing. <laughs> Like, just amazing. She's definitely the best of us. Yeah. You're sure. in. You're in. Me and Mike totally get canceled day one. <laughs> like, we're we're kicked off the show. Exactly. I, have, I can't hide my face and Mike would make a dad joke. Yeah. Yeah. You would lose your faith in humanity <laughs> yeah. once again. It would be back to, no, people yeah. are awful. Yeah. I hate everyone. <laughs> Cancel the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, thanks. Yeah, in my mind, there's a there's a jury duty that was shot that never released because they found the wrong person. <laughs> I think about that a lot sometimes. Like, how do you get them on the first? Right. I'm swing? still not convinced that you so didn't lucky. do another yeah, one with someone something else. Something that you guys were like, oh, okay, that didn't work out. We had to try day it. Honestly, one. lightning in a bottle. It oh. was, I, I magic. It really. I, Ronald is magic. Ronald Gladden is magical being. Well, congrats again, Cody. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you for having me. That's Cody Heller, showrunner behind Amazon Freebie's Jury Duty, nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series, Outstanding Comedy Casting, Outstanding Comedy Writing, as well as Comedy Supporting Actor for James Marsden. After the break, Emmy-nominated Top Chef host and Taste the Nation host and executive producer Padma Lakshmi. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Michael Schneider. After 16 primetime Emmy nominations through her career, Padma Lakshmi makes no qualms about wanting to make a trip to the stage to accept a statuette. She's double nominated this year for Outstanding Host for a Reality or Competition Program for Bravo's Top Chef, an Outstanding Hosted Nonfiction Series or Special for Hulu's Taste the Nation. My whole mouth is alive. It's so spicy. My scalp is itching. Ooh, I like yes. my scalp itches just a little bit. Tell me more about your kinks, <laughs> Welcome to America. I'm in food paradise. So you grew up eating like this? Pretty much. Must be sad for you when you have to eat out. <laughs> There's always something new to discover. I've never butchered the face of anything in my life. We're going to skip the gloves. 
Okay. A little bit more sensual. For me or the pig? Come with me as I travel and taste the nation. Every dish on the truck is 50% Pakistani, 50% Appalachian. Look at that goodness. It's all about texture. Oh my God. Lakshmi has emceed Bravo's Top Chef for 17 years, and in June, she announced via social media that she would be exiting after the recently aired 20th season. Variety's Clayton Davis caught up with Lakshmi as she discussed the next chapter of her career, the state of representation on screen, and her hopes to finally walk away with an Emmy statuette. Clayton began by asking her about how she's adjusting to this Hollywood pause as the WGA and SAG-AFTRA go on strike. It's surreal not only because uh we're having this pause but we're having this pause at the exact minute i decided to take a pause which i you know did not foresee obviously but um so it's weird i feel like everybody's experiencing a version of of what i'm experiencing um you know whether it's forced or not i think what we're trying to resolve is a very important issue. And as a SAG member and a WGA East member, you know, I'm totally in support of, of what's going on. And I really hope for a quick resolution because we all want to just get back to work, get back to doing what we love, telling great stories, creating jobs, making the world a more wondrous and interesting place. But there are things that need to be resolved, you know. Yeah, and you want to have some uh, good food, right? If if you, if you can, right? Just some sure. good food on TV. Of course. Uh, so, so what you're telling me is that you uh, taking this pause, you must have known something was coming. You have good intuition. So I'm going to follow you. every every time you decide to do something. <laughs> I'm just going to quietly follow you, and maybe uh, we'll all be in the know if something big is coming. I mean, yes, I did have an inkling. I wouldn't be the only one in, you know, certainly in in in, in Hollywood to to feel that. But um for me, it really wasn't about what was happening with the strikes. I think that was separate and super bigger, much bigger than anything I was thinking about in my own life. For me, you know, last year I had been on location for eight months out of the year. And when I wasn't on location, I was also in pre and post production for both my shows. Um, and I was also looking at edits of one show while on the set of another show. And it was just exhausting and untenable for me to continue that way. And I also feel like I've done everything I set out to do and more at Top Chef. And I leave the show at a very high point in very capable hands and I'm proud of the legacy that I helped build. And now it's time for me to challenge myself creatively and hopefully I'll I'll get another season of taste the nation. But, you know, I didn't have any guarantees. Like, you know, a lot of people close to me were saying, well, why don't you just wait until you get another season of taste the nation before you stop top chef, just to be sure you don't want to be, out of both shows and that, Mm -hmm. you know, and I thought about that, of course, there were other complex factors that went into me just being done with Top Chef, which we don't have time to go into (laughs) here. But I think for me, I just thought if, if I'm feeling this way, then I've got to trust my gut. And I've also got to make room in my life and my schedule for new things to bubble up. Mm-hmm. you know um i mean totally off topic but mm-hmm. like i haven't had a relationship in a long time either because i'm always working and i don't know when i think i was gonna meet anybody you know i'm constantly surrounded by people who i either employ or who employ me and neither of those people are appropriate to date. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um you know, it it just was also about having a personal life, to be honest, and also being present for my daughter. She's a teenager and, and you know, in five years, she's going to go off and have her own life and hopefully go to college and stuff. So, you know, it was just a confluence of things, but it was not an easy decision. You know, right about now, I would be in pre-production 
heavy pre-production for Top Chef and I'd be doing fittings and looking at creative grids and um, it's weird to be at loose ends. Yeah, that, that it's it's crazy that you. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not crazy because we can definitely understand. But you know, I think from the outside, I would say perception is reality, right? Uh, consumers, regular people, uh, middle America will look uh, at Hollywood. They always think it's Brad Pitt's George Clooney. He's like, you're you're rich, you're, you made it, and you should be happy. There's nothing that can make you unhappy. And here you are being very candid and, and honest, saying like, listen, I haven't like dated in a really long time. And it's really hard to fathom that Padma, that the, 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 the doors aren't just being like broken down to spend any time, any time with you. So uh, looking at this now and where you are and about to kind of make this transition to the next chapter and not even really knowing what that is. Is there any fear that you have setting in about what that future could hold, you know, both personally and professionally? Um, Hollywood is built on propagating insecurity. Mm. And a lot of that is very real. A lot of that is also self-inflicted or, you know, just at best theoretical exercises in mm. in predicting the world and your life. I am lucky in that I've had a really good, robust career. So, you know, I can afford not to work. Mm. for a bit while I think of what is the appropriate next move for me. And that is a privilege that I've not always had in my life. You know, there were times when I took a lot of jobs because I needed to pay my rent. And it wasn't about like, oh, this is so, you know, this is so challenging for me creative, you know, creatively and artistically. No, dude, I needed to make rent. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Um, Luckily, I'm not in that place anymore, but I'm still inside of this person that you see on TV or in, you know, magazines or whatever, there's still that little girl who was struggling to be an actor, who was struggling even to get in the door for the audition um, because they'd be like, oh, we're not going ethnic with this role, you know, stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. um, hopefully it doesn't happen as much these days. Um, So it is, uh, there is, still that young girl who's like, oh my God, you know, what if I never work again? What if they don't um, renew Taste Nation? What if, you know, I never get another job as juicy as Top Chef? It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but you know, if I don't try, I will never know. And it's like, I've done Top Chef for 17 years in my life. If I had a Top Chef baby, that baby (laughs) would be going to college right now. Yeah, And, um, you know, it's just like, I, I can't, I can't let myself look back in fear. I have to look ahead in hope. And what gives me hope is that God forbid Taste the Nation also goes away. I don't want it to. It's nominated for an Emmy. I hope we win. Mm -hmm. We're up against some very serious competition you know people mm-hmm. i grew up watching on tv as a kid like oprah winfrey and david letterman and you know add to that scale michelle obama you know yep. but um but if if you know that does go away i know in my heart that i'm the one who generated taste the nation out of my head with my producing partner yeah. and i worked really hard on it with a lot of help and support from very talented people as well and I am a creative being and I don't know what my next move is. You know, our company, my production company has two other um, projects in development, Mm -hmm. but they're both scripted, you know, so I got to wait it out just like everybody else. (laughs) Um, So we'll just see, we'll just see what happens now. If the, if the strike lasts for a long, long time, there will be a lot of reality and nonfiction shows that will get greenlit that may not and of course, as a seasoned, you know, host that's known in the marketplace, I will probably be able to get, you know, on some show if I'm feeling crazy. But 
you know, then again, there's all these other people out of work too that would consider doing those shows that maybe never considered it before. So yeah. it kind of evens itself out. I I just know that I have to I have to listen to my deepest self. And that's a discipline that took me years to develop as a muscle. Um, you know, for so long, I said yes to everything because I was so thankful that the phone was even ringing. And I am 52 years old and I'm a late bloomer, clearly. And, you know, I'm having this moment, which is for me, so far, the pinnacle of my career. And so to walk away from one of my shows at that point is a super risky endeavor. Yeah. I just know that I needed to do that for who I am and yeah. to be, and to be loyal to who I am. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're speaking uh, again, cause cause you're Patman, you're so honest, you know, speaking about the, where you are at, at this time, you know, being 25 years old, I have audio dyslexia, so I flip things around. So that you're 25 to me right now. So, <laughs> I yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, you you seem to be speaking to a theme I've been writing a lot about uh, lately, because there's a mass exodus of uh, people of color from top positions and studios across Hollywood. That has really, and a lot, a lot of them of what they're they've been talking about is a, an exhaustion and also promoting a career sabbatical. Like it's okay to take a minute to pause and we when the strike comes back my fear it's going to like we know that content's going to be less but my fear is that it's going to be light and then it's going to be white meaning all these strides that we've made over the past decade or so we're kind of going to see a, a regression back um and we we've had padma for a long time but i i want to see more padmas you know you know be be there do you see are do you do you are you finding it difficult to navigate this this land especially with this seemingly regression back in terms of diversity in hollywood or do you still see this as a, as a positive thing that is moving forward i think the strikes are necessary mm-hmm. bottom line but I do think that our business as a whole is contracting. There seems to be no such thing as an independent movie anymore. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lot less programming being developed and made both in scripted and non. I think a lot of the streamers are struggling. I think we're going to see all of them go to advertising, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and have you know regurgitate that cable model even though cable is dying mm-hmm. and i do think that what you'll see will be uh less numerous and also more broad mm. so the middle guy is going to get cut out in my opinion yeah um you're gonna see a lot more franchises a lot more blockbusters um, a lot more usage of tried and true talent. Um, and so there will be less room for young talent to bubble up. And, you know, it's why I started my production company, because I wanted to grow my business and diversify my professional interests. But I can't, you know, there's only one of me. So, like, I was already <laughs> learning at both ends by doing yeah. the two shows I had. I want to see younger talent because I don't want those young women in their twenties and thirties to go through what I went through. Nobody taught me shit, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't know so much that I had to learn the hard way, even just like getting an entertainment lawyer. I didn't know what an entertainment lawyer was, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I've made it my mission to try and mentor two or three uh, young people who are just coming up now and, and they're all doing great. But even I don't have as much power as people think I do from the outside. Mm-hmm. And even for me, with all the strides we have made in diversity, I still, every day with my own eyes and ears, see and hear racism and sexism 
And, you know, it may not be so overt as all the faces you see are white, but is everyone being paid equitably? Is everyone's opinion being considered equitably? Or is it still a certain slim part of the entertainment population that has all the keys? Yeah. Ah, very, very well said. Um, transitioning now to what I love to call the uh, focus group of we need to get Padma and Emmy soon. You are <laughs> our, you are our Indian Susan Lucci right now. Uh, <laughs> 16 nominations and uh, there's no Emmy statuette in your possession as of yet. And I'm looking for um, any and all reason to rectify this. Um, but you're, but, but also to, not to be cheesy, it's always an honor just to be nominated, right? And you've been double nominated multiple times across uh, m- many years. Uh, this year, Taste Nation and Top Chef. Um, is there a bit of you that just really wants to win both? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love Michelle Obama too, but I want to win. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm I'm not even gonna front and be, <laughs> you know, elegant about it. Like I don't, you know, I think I definitely am the underdog in that category. You but know, she's got, I, but she's got Barack, so she's okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, what more? You want a good job and a good man? Excuse yeah. me. You know. <laughs> um. But but you know, I do hope that I win in both categories. Look, I. I think that the reason that the best host nomination started coming around again recently in the last few years for me mm-hmm. is because Academy members got to see um, a deeper view of my capabilities from Taste the Nation. Mm-hmm. And I am ineligible to get also a host recognition or nomination for Taste the Nation. I'm not really sure why, but because of the um, hosted nonfiction thing. Yes, the TV Academy categories frustrate me daily. We will have a separate powwow about fixing that uh, immediately. But go ahead, please continue. Yeah, but, you know, I think that's why. And, you know, I think for all of the the toil and, and time that I have spent on Top Chef, I think it would be nice to have a statue to show for it. But at the same time, it's wonderful to have that nomination for Taste the Nation. And that is a show I created. And so, you know, it would be even more meaningful to have the recognition because hopefully that will help us stay on air, first yeah. of all, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's always a struggle. And like I said, our business is contracting. I mean, would it mean, you know, but how, what would it mean to be winning the host category? Well, it would be a really big shot in the arm. It would be a great validation. I will take any Emmy they give me. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not proud. I'll, I'll take any and all Emmys they want to throw my way. Yep. I've got a big cat, metaphorical catcher's mitt yep. on standby. <laughs> um, you know, but it is it is wonderful to be nominated because to think that like when I first started doing Top Chef, Lost and The Sopranos, were the people that we would run into at the yeah. Emmys. It's, it's, you know, really crazy. Um, and so I'm, I'm very, very, um, very excited, you yeah. know, just to be in the same um, room as all of these people in the same category as all these people. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't, um, Imagine put it into words like what it's going to mean. I I, I, can, I can't predict yeah, what yeah. people, how people will vote. Yeah. All right. And then I just have four rapid fire questions because uh, we are you're on two food shows. So we have to talk about food. Um, yeah. What's the uh, most recent amazing dish that you've had? You know, I know everyone's on the Korean rice kick. <laughs> bandwagon right now and because i did that episode on korean new year like i also had my fill we went to a rice cake factory so i was like knee deep in it so i kind of got od'd on it but then my daughter was like let's go to h mart and i really want to make this dish i've seen 
everybody eating it. And so we made it at home and it's really like rice cakes uh, with a spicy gochujang chili sauce and, and shiitake mushrooms. And we just made the recipe up out of the millions of recipes we saw on TikTok. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was amazing. I have to cut the video together. Or let me be real, the person in my office who does mm. that stuff. Mm. <laughs> Cut that cut the raw footage that I was taking shakily with one hand as I was stirring with the other. Um, cut that reel together for my IG, but um, that was delicious. I still have leftovers, um, in my fridge that I'm probably gonna hit. That's awesome. (laughs) That's amazing. What do you think of other cooking shows? What is is, it's like a really good one and a really bad one? I don't watch other cooking shows. I like that. Good way out. <laughs> like, like, nope, I really just, don't. I just I watch can't Top Chef and, and Taste the Nation. That's all you need to watch. That's exactly acceptable. Uh, what what food are you embarrassed about that you actually hate? Maybe I ain't embarrassed, but I don't like foie gras. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, I just I'm not a foie gras fan. See, mine, and I'm not embarrassed either because I can own who I am. I'm, I I like eat like a five year old. I don't like sushi. I've tried it many, many a time. Like, I like everyone's always like, oh, you haven't had that? I'm like, no, I've tried it so many times and just, it doesn't do it for me. Nothing. Even the eel, the freshwater eel with the teriyaki sauce? I can't really tell you what I've tried. There have been a lot of things that have been put in front of me and they're like, oh, no, you need to try this. And every time we go, we, me and my wife used to go on a cruise and uh, they have sushi the bar. That is not the sushi. I, I know, I know. But even, <laughs> but we, we would even give it another shot. Like if it was like free and available, then we'd be like, yeah. oh, we just grab one and it just it still hasn't done it. But I'll try. I'll try, yeah. try one that you make, though. If you make it, then I'll definitely. I, you, you know, know, there's so much good sushi around me that I don't make sushi at home, and because I had to take a break from eating it when I was pregnant, I kind of lost the taste for it. Mm. See, I like that. And the last one, uh, again, a little personal. I just moved to LA when I just. It's been two years. I've lived in LA. I'm a New Yorker through and through. You can tell by the everything about me. Um, but I need a tip on some really good food places in L.A. Where should I go eat? I know nothing. Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm not the person to ask. But oh. there is a good South Indian restaurant called Mayuri, I think. Ooh. Um, and what I would do, even though he is deceased, this is a better piece of advice that I can give than <laughs> any particular restaurant. And what I do on my own when I do have the time to eat in L.A., I would look up Jonathan Gold's 100 Best Places to Eat. Mm -hmm. He was a great columnist uh, for the Los Angeles Times and wrote some beautiful, beautiful pieces about a lot of diverse mom and pop joints that would never have seen the light of day or or Mm -hmm. stayed in business if it wasn't for his, you know, boosterism and, and patronage. And he has done more for Los Angeles dining and diversifying Los Angeles dining than mm-hmm. anybody else I know. And we actually dedicated a whole episode to him on Top Chef when we were in Los Angeles a few years ago because his influence is so wide. And even for on Taste the Nation, I remember reading something he wrote about Lotus of Siam, and that made me dig deeper. And when I was filming in Las Vegas with Top Chef, I ordered takeout from Lotus of Siam all the time. And then when I decided to do an episode on Thai food, that's, I knew I wanted to talk to her. And it's one of the most moving episodes of Taste of Nation, in my opinion. It's one of my favorites. It's the Thai episode. And, you know, it just goes to show you how far reaching one journalist's, uh, efforts can be you know his his influence is so vast and deep and his tentacles reach far beyond his own life yeah oh that's, that's beautiful now you inspired me to like write about something big so I, I will get on that and i'll be able to have someone talk about i don't know a movie that they watched or or the padma interview with clayton that changed their life that's, <laughs> that's what i know do. a good movie i can recommend oh yes always love that go Tampopo. Oh, is that is that this year? Is there is a recent? No, dude, no, it old? came out in 1985. Oh, what's the name of it again? Tam Popo. T is in Tom. A M is in Mary. P O P O. Tam Popo. 
I've never seen this, but I will. It's a foreign mm-hmm. film. It's an Asian film from the 80s. It is so good. You and all your listeners are going to thank me later. And if oh. all your listeners are Academy members, you should vote for me just based on that recommendation. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Ken Watanabe, I'm in. I'm done. All right. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch. Uh, listen, thank you for taking this time with me. Anything else you want to add? Anything you want to break with us? What are you working on? You're going to direct a movie soon? Um, I can't, I hate, you know, I'm one of those people that never like announces when something has been inked or in development. I don't like talking about work until it's It's ready to go. It's done. Super, um, just super superstitious. You know, I've, I've just learned. So for my own peace of mind, I'm not going to speak any further, but Mm. I can tell you guys, I would really, really love some gold. I would really, really love a little gold man in my life mm. in, you know, in, in lieu of any other man, but yeah. um, uh, I'll take it. Gold in two know. ways, a statuette and then a, a ring. We'll find, we're going to find you. A, we're going to get, <laughs> Padma, have some dates before I get, we're gonna get a, a Padma dating show is going to be awesome. Like it's good. We're going to get the only the best people in the world for you. It's, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to be there. I'm going to host that show. <laughs> if, if you get it because of this, I have to host that show. Okay, Okay. That's Padma Lakshmi, Emmy-nominated host of Bravo's Top Chef, which streams on Peacock, and Emmy-nominated executive producer slash host of Taste the Nation, now streaming on Hulu. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Hanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Circuit.